This is a podcast from Minute Media. Welcome to Bet and Breakfast, a podcast from BetSided. Hey, does anybody want coffee? Who wants coffee? It's sports betting for everyone. I'm here to tell you today that the New York Yankees season is done. Stick a fork in them, it's over. Lamar Jackson, I can't believe he's that low on the list that he's my bet for sure at this point in the season. Early leans, best bets, props, parlays. If you can bet it, we've got it. I'm taking the over on this. If you look at the last five games, this is a game waiting for points to be scored. Tom Brady, I think everyone's heard of him. If Brady puts up the numbers, they have the 10th easiest schedule the rest of the way. Get in, get out, and you're ready to go. I think they're going to have to give him the award if Dallas ends up locking up this division and possibly even that number one seed. And here are your hosts, Ben Heisler, Ian McMillan, Peter Dewey, Donovan Smoot, and Reed Wallet. What comes before anything? What have we always said is the most important thing? Breakfast family. I thought you meant the things you eat. Good morning, people. Happy Sunday. Welcome in to Bet and Breakfast. Ben Heisler, Peter Dewey with you for the next 30 to 40 minutes. Uh, plenty to discuss on the program today. Lots of game sevens. Peter and I are going to go through the two in the NBA. Perhaps one of the NHL games might sneak into best bets. I haven't found out what Peter is going with yet. I do not have a hockey game, but if one of us does, it will break into the final segment for today. Um, plenty of action across Major League Baseball. We might touch on a game or two as well. And Peter, I don't know if you had a chance to uh, to catch what happened yesterday. I, I wish there was a way for us to be able to like go and, and replay it from our, our guy Ian McMillan. Um, but <laughs> if you ever want to see, if you ever wanted to see uh, somebody in a paper bag trying to like drink champagne while crying with like the two holes in the mouth. I don't even know how else to describe it other than it might've been the funniest video that I've ever seen. And yet I, I felt for him because once again, his Toronto Maple Leafs let him down. Yeah, man, I feel so bad for Ian. He, he said the whole series, this is not the same old Leafs. They were the same old Leafs, unfortunately. Um, I really thought they had game six bet on Friday, Thursday yeah. night, I believe it was. I texted him after they went up, and I was like, "Dude, like, holy shit, the Leafs! Like, they might, they might have it." And um, he texted me back. He's like, "Yeah, not the same old Leafs, man." And then they blow it in overtime, just and then you get, yeah, the just... worst. And so they end up losing two to one. It's another streak that continues. Um, I, I think it's now for the Maple Leafs. They they haven't won a playoff series in eighteen years. And for for somebody that has continued to just pour, like like I think think that's the hardest part. Like there's been plenty of teams that have had their issues come come postseason, but mm. I, I think it's how the Leafs kind of bring you in, and especially because because it's been the mid '90s since Canada's won a Stanley Cup. So you have a Toronto team that finally is starting to show all the signs. It, the way it reminds me, actually, is the, I, when I was in college in 2007, 2008, the Cubs won back-to-back division titles. Those, those were the, the early Lou Pinello years. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were incredible during the regular season and then swept by the, the Diamondbacks in the first round and then swept, I think, I'm trying to remember who the other team was, back-to-back sweeps in the first round of the MLB postseason. Again, baseball has more of that inherent randomness than the NHL, but the NHL still has it. And this was finally a lightning team that 
was starting to feel like it wasn't going to be a three-peat for them, that mm -hmm. the Maple were actually like an ideal matchup, and it just just crumbled on him. I just I just fell for the guy. Yeah, I, I got to give Ian credit, though. And I think, like, we were talking about this. I think some of it is, like, he's, gen like, the genuine, but he also leans into the bit, like, as a Leafs fan, unbelievably well. Like, unbelievably well. Like, I 100% I believe he's heartbroken. I know it from knowing him. Like, he definitely is. But he's also done a fantastic job of, like, drumming up, like, oh, my God. Like, where you would think the Leafs haven't won a game in, like, 10 years, the way he – uh he does it. So I, I respect the hell out of it. It's 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 fantastic content, yeah. but yeah, I just full on commitment to the bet. The question I have for them, like I'm not a hockey guy, is just like I feel like they have a great team. Like they have Austin Matthews, they have Tavares, like they have some great players. Like, when do they get over the hump? Like, what is it gonna take for this team to really win a series? Like it feels like every year that's like, Oh yeah, the Leafs, they should be one of the best teams in the NHL, and then they can't get out of the first round. It's crazy. Yeah. Is there a team, because he said in his uh, his post-game report, and you can find it, uh, we tweeted it at Betside, and you can also follow him uh, at Ian MacBets on Twitter. You can also follow us, by the way, at Benny Heiss and at Peter Dewey, too, on Twitter. But, I mean, he said he's the it was the worst, like, it, it's the most cursed franchise in sports. I was trying to sort of have that debate in my head of, is it just sort of prisoner of the moment? Um, or, or does it actually end up being the Toronto Maple Leafs like is there a comp for you do you think there's someone and another team that is even more cursed obviously if we were having this conversation you know six years ago I would have said my Chicago Cubs but mm -hmm. uh, that's no longer the case yeah so I think there's a little bit of bias when you're a fan of a team like you immediately think it's like it's just us like for me when um like I think about that I'm like oh man the Knicks like but like you look at the Knicks like yes they have been bad and there's been all they have like one of the worst records over the last 20 years the Knicks also went to the finals twice in the 90s they went in the early 2000s like you can't necessarily say they're like completely cursed and so I'm not like I can't, I would never go there I think the Cleveland Browns man I just that is the team for me that is just like I know they made the playoffs a couple years ago, but like how many years was it was like what 15 years, 16 years they didn't make the playoffs? Like in the NFL, especially where it's normally a ton of parody, that's kind of crazy. And then just like the quarterbacks, the fact that they can't ever draft the quarterback, the Tim Couches, the Brandon Weedens, the Johnny Manzellas, like they couldn't ever get a quarterback. The teams bounced around between leaving, coming back, all that. And then now, like you thought Baker Mayfield might have been the guy. He's not going to pan out. He's stuck on the team. You can't trade him. And you bring in Deshaun Watson, who off the field is just like, like it's like at that point, it's like almost do you want to be a Browns fan? Like all of the Browns stuff, I think it's just so far. I don't think I can go there. Like the Leafs obviously have won a cup. Like the Browns, it's just, I feel like they've been horrible my entire life. And so it's just like, there's no way. I don't think you can get get past them just a lack of success yeah and by the way if you guys want to weigh in as well head on over to youtube just search yeah. that side and we're streaming live uh happy to read some of your your chats in the conversation as well but uh the, the team that you feel like regardless of whether you're a team that you're betting on it or if you're a fan of uh any team that maybe can compare to the maple leafs as far as cursed nature goes uh peter suggested the cleveland browns um I, i'm gonna go in a slightly different direction uh and, and take the buffalo bills because you're talking about a team that made it through four Super Bowls uh, in the late 80s, early 90s, not able to win any of them. Something inevitably got in their way and got in the way at the worst possible time. At least, at least for you know Ian and the the Maple Leafs' sake, it's 
early on in the postseason. It's not in the, yeah. the Stanley Cup final every year. Imagine losing four Stanley Cup finals in a row. Um, yeah. You think, too, in a, in a, in a one-game single elimination setting uh, that some sort of variance would work in your favor for Buffalo, but that never ended up being the case. And then I think back to to this postseason, right? Like jo- Josh Allen throws two touchdowns to, to Gabriel Davis in the final two minutes on the road at Arrowhead, and Chiefs and the, the Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes still find a way to send the game into overtime. And then it's not as if the Bills blew the game in overtime. He, Josh Allen never had a chance to possess the football. It was just the Chiefs. They won the coin toss. Like at some point, if you're the Buffalo Bills and that and that fan base, you have to say like. Are we going to get something? I suppose you got yeah. your quarterback now, and maybe the great quarterbacks still find a way. But I mean, that wasn't even on Allen there. It just it was taken from their hands, and they had nothing to really be able to do with it. That's a good one. I think when you talk about curse, you have to like decide: is it between like teams who have come close and came up short, or teams who have just always been bad and it's yeah. just like never changed around? Because I think that's like two different things, like. Because, I mean, the Cubs, and correct me if I'm wrong, like, the Cubs were good for a good amount of time, like, for certain periods of time. They just never won the World Series. Like, I remember, like, growing up, like, the Derek Lee, Aramis Ramirez team. Like, they had good teams. Obviously, there's the Bartman year and everything. But, like, but, they yeah, well, that was good. the year. That was, yeah, they, the, they had good. that was the 2003 team. And yeah. I think you can make an argument that that was, that that was for sure a curse because that was the Bartman year in game mm-hmm. six. They're up three not. I the last time I cried, Peter, as a sports fan was the the 2003 NLCS uh, after mm-hmm. Game Seven because like Game Six I was just like still in shock couldn't yeah, figure out what yeah. just happened. Then Game Seven like Kerry Wood was on the mound he started he had a home run in the game um, and then the like the Marlins just snatched it away and I just remember being so heartbroken at that point. But like yeah they had good teams like it was always sort of like on on one year. Like 98, yeah. they had the year at Sosa, you know, and McGuire had the home run chase, but they got eliminated early. Mm-hmm. 2003, NLCS in the most heartbreaking fashion. And then 2007, 2008, um, they were swept in the um, in the divisional round. So, mm-hmm. so and then, then you know, they, they didn't get those good teams until the, the mid-20s. Yeah, because then they kind of tore down. And then they ended up winning the World Series. But then, like, there were other years, like, maybe, but, like, they had a good team, like, maybe – twice a decade in yeah the, in the 60s and the 70s and then the, and then the 80s and the 90s so I think about that for the red sox too before they like broke the 86 like they had good yeah. teams they just never got over the hump like and i mean you obviously know more about the cubs than me but like growing up like I, the mark priors the carry woods i was like they they had great players they just never got over the hump i feel like the browns has just been like they're always bad and then like the bills you said like had some great teams just never were able to get over the hump i think that i agree with you hurts more than always being bad because you like your expectations can't be that high but it's for the cur it is tough to decide which one makes you more cursed because that's the thing with the leafs too like they've had good teams and they just never get there so that hurts more for sure i feel like for sure and and like sort of the whole entire concept of like which which cursed is the worst cursed? It's like yeah, it's ter- <laughs> terrible. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, you could probably have a whole other show about like, would you rather be the team that you know gets your heart broken or the team that has never had the chance to love at all? Yeah, you, you can really go either way on this, but but certainly uh, a fascinating element to it. And again, just just heartbreak for the Leafs. Like I I was really pulling for them. Like I, I wanted yeah. to see them win. I 
the content for me and would have been great either way. But um, yeah, make sure you guys go check that out. Just see being a wet paper bag fan with the eyes and the mouth, just not being able to get champagne in the mouth and then spilling it all over his face. Like if the it's commitment fantastic. is just so well done. So, so shout out to you and thank you for committing to the bit, even in the midst of heartbreak. I know that was not an easy thing to do, but let's, uh, let's dive into uh, to game seven day. What an awesome Sunday that we have on tap. Um, in the NHL, you got two game sevens tonight, Pittsburgh Penguins, New York Rangers, uh, we're going to go through the NBA slate again. Like NHL, not necessarily our forte. You can read some of the coverage over at Betside. Our, our Joe Summers is uh, doing an outstanding job today of covering the Sunday slate for the NHL. Uh, but just so you guys know, over on the show, uh, the Penguins plus a 105 on the money line. They're plus 1.5 um, on the puck line tonight. Rangers of minus 125 favorite at home. Uh, total of six in that game. And then Dallas and Calgary tonight this the flames are uh minus 1.5 on the run on the on the run line on the uh, puck line minus 200 favorites at home total of 5.5 if you want the stars on the money line you can get them at plus 175 but uh peter let's talk ball because we yeah. got two great series uh finally coming down to an end in boston in phoenix today um you have the boston celtics five point favorites what i've always found fascinating about this series is that there haven't been very many times other than in game six where these teams were like really close to each other on the spread. I feel mm-hmm. like in almost every game, it's been like five or six. Um, just despite the nature of this series where you feel like any team could win at any night, but the bucks are, are five point underdogs on the road in Boston. Game seven. If you want to take Milwaukee on the money line. I've, uh, and it's the higher of the two game totals, but it's still very low at 206. So initial impressions before we start diving in, Bucks five point underdogs on the road, um, and, and Boston looking to to close out that series after getting a big win in Milwaukee in Game Six. Yeah, to get right into it, I bet the Celtics minus five in this game. I think they're going to win. I think they might win pretty convincingly. Um, just Game Six, and I, I love your thoughts. I love your thoughts on this too because. The Bucks just squandered an opportunity. Like you get Game Six at home after that win in Game Five, where they had no business winning Game Five, and Boston kind of handed it to them, and they win Game Five. Like you had to close that out. You can't let this Celtics team now they have all the momentum coming back home. Jason Tatum just played his best game of the playoffs, and Boston has shot the ball really well in some of the games at TD Garden. Game Two, um, they shot the ball like crazy in the first half. Game five, they shot the ball very well until the end of the game. So the thing that scares me with the Bucs, Ben, is last game, Boston shot the ball from three extremely well. Bucks only made like six threes, I believe it was. Right. So if the Bucs aren't getting 30, 35 plus from Giannis and 20, 25 plus from Drew Holiday, I just don't know where the points come from from them because nobody else has been consistent. Like Pat Connaughton was good in game six. Bobby Portis was good in, um, earlier in the series. Bobby Portis has struggled in the last couple games. The Celtics have kind of hunted him on defense. Grayson Allen's been horrible. And Brooke Lopez has, like, gotten played off the floor the last two games. So, for me, I just don't, like, this Bucks team, and you hear the cliche, like, oh, the team with the best player wins game seven. Like, yeah, Giannis might be the best player, but there's a very good chance the Celtics have the second and third best player. And, like, if Drew Holiday doesn't have it, they may have the fourth best player if Marcus Smart or Al Horford plays well. And, like, I love Drew Holiday. If, like, you take all things considered, 
clearly he's one of the four best players in the series. But yeah. he's also had multiple games where he shot like five for 20. So if he's going to have that kind of performance, you're one, wasting all those possessions on him taking those shots. Two, you're not getting anyone else going. So for me, for the Bucks, like it's going to be either the Giannis hero game or like I just think the Celtics just are too well-rounded, too good defensively um, for them in this game. And foul trouble is going to play a role like it always does, I feel like, in Game 7 if somebody gets into foul trouble. Yeah. And it would scare me a lot more on the Bucks side if one of the stars got into the foul trouble than Boston. I just think Boston has more options. They definitely have more options. Um, I've also seen more than enough times Giannis be able to close out games on his own. Mm-hmm. And, and one thing that I give – you know, Milwaukee, a lot of credit for is that their, their offense has not been here in this series, right? Like no. it, it's almost kind of been a, a bit of a role reversal. Like we've seen, we've seen Milwaukee become the number one defensive rated team in the NBA over the course of the postseason. Now they've, they've let it slip a little bit over the last couple of games. We saw the first over uh, of the Bucks entire playoff run. Yeah. Um, I believe it was either in game four or, no, it was game five. Game five, yeah. We finally saw the overhead. Um, and, and Boston, conversely, you know, they're fourth right now uh, in defensive rating over the course of the postseason. So I, I actually jumped on the under right away. It, it opened at 210. It's been bet down to, to 206.5. So I got it at 210. I still feel like 206.5 is, is a worthy play just because it's been the entire MO of this series. And you know that... Like, even if Milwaukee wants to run, Boston is going to be so set in their defense um, and be able to, to match up and, and get the, the opportunities that they want. And also for Milwaukee, you know, if you go into Giannis inside, if you let him sort of work the paint, you know, if they start to double him and guys start making shots, like the half-court offense for them is actually feasible here. Yeah. Um, so I, I love the under once again in this game. And again, you know, maybe you look for a fast start, try to bet it live as opposed to taking the number that's already moved down three and a half. But as far as who, who advances, like you, you make a lot of really good points and, and maybe you can explain it a little bit more, <coughs> excuse me, but I, I, I have such a difficult time moving away from Milwaukee here, especially given every sort of circumstance that they've kind of fallen into. Um, Boston has has made them adjust and readjust throughout, but they've been able to do it. And I don't know Mm -hmm. whether that's just a product of of Budenholzer actually making some necessary changes or if it's just only been a byproduct of them making more shots. What do you think? So the way I look at this, and yeah, I mean, the the shot making, I mean, this game's going to come down to like whose role players step up because I think we're going to see good games from Giannis and good games from Tatum. But like somebody, like you said, that somebody's got to make shots. I don't know what Bud really can do to adjust at this point, though, because their rotation is so short. Like he's really only got a few right. options to go to. Um, but here's why I'm taking the Celtics, and it's it's a two pronged um, thing. But you look at this. So since 2011, home teams in Game Seven are 22 and 10 straight up. Um, that's a 68 percent of the time they're winning. If they're favored by five or more, they're 14 and 10 against the spread and uh, 19 and five straight up. So obviously home teams favored in game seven, a little bit that you're on the stronger side in terms of the trend. The reason I'm taking the Celtics is you look at the way that these games have gone, that the Celtics have won versus the Bucks have won. 
Game one, Bucks won by 12. Game two, Boston wins by 23. Game three, Bucks win by two. Game four, Boston wins by eight. Game five, Bucks win by three. Game six, Boston wins by 13. When Boston wins, they're winning going away. So I think they win this game. I think they win. They keep that trend of going away. When they've won games, it's because the Bucks haven't been able to hang offensively. And so that's why, like, the five points doesn't scare me too much with Boston. On the like, if obviously if Milwaukee wins this game, like that, it's what that obviously this bet's dead. But like, I'm <laughs> my thing is like, if the Bucks are gonna win, that's the way it's gonna be a close game. I think the Celtics are gonna win, so that's why I'm fine with laying the points. I like every one of these games has been either Milwaukee had to fight back from a fourth quarter deficit, or they were up big at the end of the third and they blew the lead in the fourth quarter. So if Boston can kind of just like do what they did, like they control game six, the entire game. It felt like that game was like the whole game, a 10 point game. And so for me, if Boston's going to win this game, I think five is not too crazy of a number given what they've done in the series. Obviously they could collapse like they did in game five, but I'm just, I'm back in the trend. Home teams game seven is, is been pretty lucrative if you bet them over the last 10 years. So I'll take that. Yeah, and and even though I I still expect Milwaukee to figure it out, I that trend does scare me, and, and part of the reason why I am leaning towards the under again, it's just been too consistent in this series. Um, you've mentioned not only the abilities for for a lot of these home teams in Game Seven, but just the pace continues to slow down and down and down. And let's say it plays into your narrative that that Boston wins it in you know fairly convincing fashion. That's going to take away. <clears throat> uh, Milwaukee's ability to to score as well. Yeah, if Boston wins this game handily. It's because the Bucks aren't making shots. Exactly. They're going to be under a hundred points again, and the the under likely hits unless you know both teams completely punt, and then it becomes a game in transition late in the fourth quarter, and then the over ends up hitting. So, I think we're going to find out real quick if the Bucks have it tonight, like we're going to find out depending upon what Bud does, if he decides to start Grayson Allen again, if he goes back to Bobby Portis, I'm very intrigued to see what he does. Cause Connaughton was really good in game six. And like, he's got to play because defensively, right. I think he's better than Grayson Allen too. Um, it's, we're going to find out real fast. Like if Bobby Portis hits a couple shots or Grayson Allen or Connaughton hits a couple shots or like, you know, Giannis is unstoppable in the fir- first quarter. Like, okay, we might know. But, like, if we see the same thing we've seen in some of these games where it's just either Giannis gets to the rim or the Bucks don't score, I just don't think the Celtics lose this game. They just have too much firepower. Like, Tatum doesn't have to be going because Brown might be. And if Brown's not going, like, they might be able to get Horford going. Like, they, they've had multiple guys step up in this series, whereas the Bucks, it's been Giannis goes crazy and we win because him and Drew scored 60-something points. And I just – right. If that doesn't happen, I just don't know how Milwaukee gets the points. Like you said, that's why I think the under is also like fantastic. Like Milwaukee, if Milwaukee scores over a hundred points, like 105, 110 points, I'd be in shock. Like this game, if they win, they are gonna need it to be low scoring. That it's gonna have to happen. Without question. Couple uh couple prop notes to to make you aware of, and, and this is from the great folks over at uh, at Fanshare NBA. Uh Marcus Smart has not gone above six and a half assists in seven of his last nine games. Uh, he's been averaging 5.7 over the course of that postseason run. His prop number is set at six and a half. Also, if you're looking for an over to play today, Derek White has gone above two and a half assists in 17 of his last 22 games. So again, that's information over at, at Fancher. 
uh, if you're looking for a couple of prop plays. Also, Peter's going to have voices. Voices starting to wear down. This is what happens when you take uh, back-to-back red eyes. Um, oh man! For the course of the last couple of days, so we're gonna we're gonna hang on <coughs> for for dear life here uh, on on bet and breakfast. Might have to add tea to the uh, the bet and breakfast menu. So let's <laughs> let's let's dive into uh, to Mavericks and Suns. I should mention, by the way, just to recap for anyone joining us, Peter is on the Celtics at minus five. I jumped on the under very early at two ten. It's in, since been down to to two oh six and a half, uh, but I still think it's a good play to. Uh, to jump in on the under, even at that number, if you want to wait a little bit to bet it live, you certainly can do that as well. The other game on the slate uh, in the evening is the Mavericks and the Suns. Have we found out yet who the officials are going to be? Yes, yeah, Scott Foster is not officiating either game today. Um, okay. I have both right here. So the Boston game is um, – give me one second. The Boston game is James Capers, Kane Fitzgerald, John Goble. And the Dallas Phoenix game is Zach Zarba, Tony Brothers, and Josh Tibbet. So Tony Brothers, Zach Zarba, you might see a lot of fouls in this game. I'm not that. That is uh, Zach Zarba is very well known for setting the tone early with how he's going to call a game. Um, so and, it, and it's already been a a very physical series too. But mm-hmm. I mean, it's six and a half, which which feels a bit high to me. I don't know if that's the the books trying to try and even out some of their action. Maybe they have a lot of Suns money already. We can you know find out from the folks at WinBet and share that over at BetSided. Um, but yeah, six and a half point total for six and a half points for the Suns on the spread. If you want Dallas money line, you can get them at plus two thirty, uh, and the total is set at two hundred four and a half. Um, if it is going to be a very physical game, that does benefit. I think the Suns at home. Mm-hmm. However, however, that's also the slower type of environment that Dallas can thrive in too. Dallas kind of plays a little bit of bully ball and Doncic can kind of beat you up a little bit inside. And he already has such a, a big size and weight advantage, especially, you know, whenever he's being guarded at the top of the key. It's not to say Paul can't stay around him. But, but Dodgers is so good, even though he looks so slow around the perimeter and then driving in, he gets to his spots exceptionally well. Do you feel like if it is going to be a slow it down, grind it out type game like the numbers suggest, which team do you think that favors more? That's a tough one. I, I do think it favors Phoenix a little bit more just because if it is a slow it down, grind it out game, like – it's going to be Luca or bust for the Mavs. And if I'm the Suns, like you got to hope that Mikhail Bridges doesn't get in foul trouble, but I think the Suns have a little bit more options on offense. Um, something I wanted to point out in this game, Ben too, that's really important. We talked about the role players in the Bucks Celtics series. And like, I don't want to over like underestimate how important stars are, but like role players win games in these type of scenarios. Like if you have one guy who just has a really good game, Looking at some of the Buck, the uh, Mavs key role guys at home versus on the road in this series, Reggie Bullock had 19 points in game six in that win. He hit five threes. Game five in Phoenix, 0 for 5, didn't score. In the first two games at Phoenix, he had a 2 for 7 day and a 5 for 9 day. Um, another guy, Spencer Dinwiddie, first two games in Phoenix, he combined to shoot 6 for 18. Game five, he had two points, was 0 for 3. But then game six in Dallas, 15 points on five of seven, hit five threes. So for Dallas, like their role guys have showed up at home. It's why they've won all three home games. On the road, they have not at all. 
And so you're going to need some kind of steady medium like spot here. Like Dorian Finney-Smith had a bad game for them in game six, which is like they were able to weather the storm because Bullock and Dinwiddie played so well. But for a Dallas team that relies on making and taking a lot of threes, a physical game I think benefits the Suns because they kind of get the Mavs out of that where you're like just we'll run the floor and we'll get some open shots. Like the Mavs already play at a pretty slow pace. So if this is going to be a physical game, I don't I think Phoenix is more is well equipped to like have guys get to the line. Like they'll play through DeAndre Ayton a little bit. They'll let Devin Booker get to the rim. Um I think it benefits them. But at the same time, the way this series has gone, it's looked like at home the Suns are like the way better team. And at on the road, the Mavs look like the, the way better yeah. team. So um this is gonna be an interesting one. I wouldn't be afraid to bet the Mavs plus six and a half if we do think it slows down just because like there's only going to be 204 points. Like, how far of a gap are we really going to see? Um, I'll save my best bet for later because it was a prop. But uh, I'm interested. What are you on a side in this one? Um, I, I'll probably go under again. Okay. Just because these teams since game two have done nothing offensively on the road. Yeah. Nothing. Dallas scored 80 points in game five. Phoenix beat them by 30. Mm-hmm. Uh, game six. Mavs dropped 103. Phoenix only scored 86. None of these, they've been competitive, but the, the results haven't really felt that way. Like Phoenix won by, by seven in game one. They won by 10 in game two. Mavericks won by nine and then by 10. And then the last two have, have been blowouts with, you know, the home team really starting to dominate. Um, so I'll, the, the problem is that 204 is just so low. It is so low. Like I, it still might feel like a stay away. Like I'll probably tail your 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 prop and your best bet of the day, um, because it just it I, I like how it sets up for it, um, and I also know that the public is still going to want to bet a lot of overs on props mm-hmm. in Game Seven, and that's really one of the worst things you can do, just because you know that it, things are going to slow down. You know, maybe for 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 uh, you know rebounds is, is something that could be in play, and maybe assists, but um, certainly point totals you typically want to lean on the underside for, but I, I don't know, like so many blowouts and, and so many lopsided games to me, this does feel like it gets to a point where it should be closer than it is. Like it, if I had yeah. to take a side or a total, I'd probably go Mavs plus six and a half just because even though they haven't done it in losses, I feel like they're capable of it. We just haven't seen it from them over the course of this series. And I feel like there's, there's enough variance and enough back and forth between both these teams that they're capable of doing it. Um, and especially if it slows down, that behooves them a little bit. I, I know you mentioned that it, there's the advantage to the Suns, but I think maybe more so for them to close it out as opposed to, um, to sort of taking Mav- taking Dallas and completely just taking them yeah. out of the series. I, I just don't see that in this type of game today. And maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, and it, I mean, if you were one of the people, like not saying you specifically, but like anybody out there, if you believe in the best player wins game seven, like Luka Doncic is the best player in the series. Like I love Devin Booker. Luka Doncic is the best player in the series. He, like, It's not even a question. Um, but at the same time, like, and maybe I'm optimistic, but like Chris Paul's been horrendous in this series. Like he is due to have a somewhat good game. And that's really all the Suns need to like, okay, we're going to be here. Because I think, like, Devin Booker, I will give him credit. He's going to go down swinging. Like, they didn't win. They got killed in game six. 
Devin Booker still took like seven free throws, 17 shots. Like he was trying. He had eight assists. Like they just they, they just didn't end up uh like they just didn't have anything else going. Like Chris Paul has kind of just been like, if he doesn't have it, he doesn't have it. Um, but it's really gonna come down to, and it's the same thing, I think, in the Celtics Bucks game. And I think we're seeing how top heavy some of these teams are, and it's making me feel a lot better about the Heat and the Warriors than these teams that are in these game sevens. Yeah. It's like those teams don't rely on the same guy every night to go and score like 30 points. Like, sure, the Warriors need Steph Curry and Klay Thompson and Jordan Poole to play well, but I just named three guys who are a threat to get 30 on any night. With the Suns, it's like it's Devin Booker or bust. And with the Mavs, it's Luka or bust. And with the Bucks, it's Giannis. And with the Celtics, it's Tatum. And so it gets me a little nervous for those teams where like if Devin Booker doesn't have it going tonight, like what do the Suns do? I, I don't know. Like, they're going to have to lean on Chris Paul. Yeah. So, and like, if Luca doesn't have it going, like do the Mavs, is it Brunson? Like Brunson's been up and down in this series. So it, that's the thing that concerns me more. That's why I kind of like the underplay because if this game is physical and it gets bogged down, like you're just going to see a bunch of long possessions where it's like Devin Booker, Luca Doncic, ISOs, and they try and get a bucket or maybe, you know, Devin Booker, Deandre and pick and roll. Um, I just, I don't see the Mavs who have played slow all year. I believe they played the slowest pace in the NBA in the regular season trying to speed up a game seven. Like that doesn't behoove them at all because right. they don't have the the secondary guys to go and beat this Suns team. Like they're going to need Luka to have a really good game. The best way you can like leverage that is by making sure every one of his shots counts by like forcing long possessions and, and putting the Suns in position where they have to really work for their offense. But um I will say this, as somebody who has a future on the Suns, I am not confident. This series, this team, like, the regular season was great. They played fantastic. Playoff basketball is a whole different breed, and I just really question, outside of Devin Booker, like, who you can rely on every night. And that that scares me a lot. The, the under just feels too low. And again, like, everything that you said adds up, but... I don't, I don't know. There's like a, a part of me that feels like I, I can't, I can't get on board for it. So if I, if I was going to take a side, I still think I'm leaning Mavs um, yeah. plus six and a half, just because if you are buying into that theory, and I know that there, there's so much more to it. Um, but I, I, I almost do kind of trust some of Dallas's role players a little bit more right now um, to, to be a little bit more consistent. Ultimately the ball's still going to end up through Doncic, but um, like I, I do trust Brunson a, a little bit more to, to make some big plays and keep it going. So he's going to have to be the guy. He's going to have to be the guy because the other guys are really just hit or miss. Like Brunson is the guy that you can kind of count on. So he's going to have to be, if the Mavs want to win this game. All right. So if we were taking a side for this one, I would go Dallas plus six and a half. Peter, you'd lean on the under two Oh four and a half. Let's actually get into our actual best bets of the day. Yeah. Um, breaking down both of these NBA game sevens. And again, you can find all these plays over at BetSided, including game previews from every game in Major League Baseball, uh, tonight's uh, MLB games, uh, the Stanley Cup playoffs as well, props, predictions, really everything you need for a full slate uh, on Sunday. So, Peter, you're sticking with the NBA. We'll go to you first. Uh, and then I have a uh, play on an underdog. Uh, one that maybe you may not like from a personal level, but uh, I'll get to that in just a second. So what's your best bet of the night? Yeah, I'm taking Luka Doncic under 53 and a half points, rebounds and assists. Um, again, Luka has been great. There's a stat circulating this morning in elimination games. He averages 39 points per game in the playoffs in his career. 
fantastic number. If he scores 39 tonight, probably going to have a chance to hit the over on this. But if you look at Lucas' playoffs, played nine playoff games, he's gone over this number one time. That one time, game one against the Suns when he scored 45 points. So you look at his last game, and last game was an elimination game. So we can take that entire theory in game six. He finished with 52. He had 33, 11, and 8. So he could have another game like that. He's still going to go under this number. This number is so inflated. And, like, I don't, I hate to, like, read off counting numbers. But, like, in this series, Doncic's PRA numbers are 65, the game one when he scored 45, 47, 48, 44, 41, 52. So, like, for the, like other than game six, he hasn't even come close to this number in four of the other five games. So, for me – I think if you are going to have a game where, like I said, it's probably slow-paced, low total, to get to 53.5 PRA, he's going to probably have to grab double-digit rebounds and score 35-plus points because I just don't know how he's – if they only score like 95 points, like is Luka going to be a part of 60 of those points? He might be, but like it's crazy it's like, the odds of that happening. So um, – I just think this this number is a little too high for what probably probably will be a low scoring game based on the total, um, and like I said, he's done it one time in nine playoff games. Like some of these PRA numbers, like you have to really they they try and get you on. It's a really good player, and you're like, oh my god, like it, of course Giannis is, or of course Luca is going to have a good game, and then you and you really break it down how much it takes to get to fifty three and a half, fifty four points, rebounds, and assists, like. He's going to have to have an all-time type of game tonight. I just don't know. Like, the Suns may may decide they're going to let him score, but that means he probably doesn't get that many assists. Right. And if he's, he could score 40 points, get 10 boards, and if he has two assists, he's still going under here. So I just think the number's a little too high. Based on, like, earlier in the series, it was, like, at 49, at 50. I think I took him um, in game four under 51 and a half, and he finished with, like, 41, 42. So, like, they the number is climbing, 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 and it's because he's done it one time. I just don't – I'm not – in a game seven, no way. No way. Yeah, makes a ton of sense to me. Under 53.5 is the play on points, rebounds, and assists, PRA, uh, for today uh, for Doncic. And you're right. Like, even if he does take over the game, the other stats are going to go down as a result of it. Mm-hmm. And again, we're, we're talking about slower possessions. We're talking about more time – more isolated basketball. Like that's going to take away some of the assist opportunities as well. It's a large number to climb and he could still ball out Peter and not come close to hitting that prop. Exactly. Like all those numbers I went off where he was in like the 40, he had great games. He had like high twenties, low thirties points was like pushing double digit, either rebounds or assists. Great games still not coming close to 53 and a half. Like it is a huge, huge number. No doubt. All right, let me give you my play for the day, uh, and that is going up against your New York Yankees. I I like the White Sox as a money line play today. I really, really do. And I've been the same guy advocating for them to make a managerial change. I think they have a lot of issues right now. One of those issues is not Michael Kopech. He has Mm -hmm. been sensational. He's given up a total of three runs all season long. In four of his six starts, he has not allowed an earned run. the strikeout rate continues to climb. He's been flat out dominant. Um, and he has uh, a bit of luck on his side as well, but not for anything that he's done. The, the luck is, and I don't know if I should even call it luck because the, the numbers actually back this up as well. 
Do you want to know what the White Sox record is against left-handed pitchers going back to last year? I, I know it's good. I feel like you've told me this before. I don't know it straight. The In their last record. 27 games, the Chicago White Sox were 26-1 and one against left-handed starting pitching. Twenty-six and one, and wow. the the splits the splits back it up against lefties. Um, so far, the, this is just this year um, against left-handers. Um, they're hitting two sixty-eight compared to two twenty-one, and this is a White Sox team that's hovering around five hundred. They're slugging four thirty-five compared to three thirty-eight. Their on-base percentage is a full point seven points higher. Their OPS is seven seventy-nine against lefties compared to six eleven against right-handers. Everything from a confidence standpoint with this team performs better when they're facing left-handed pitching, and the results are starting to back that up as well. I, Yankees are, are countering with the dude, okay? Like, let, let's not take away from, from the pitching matchup here, and it's also another reason that you could probably consider the under as well. Yeah, that's, that's what I think I might take in this game. Um, and um, it's... It's it, that's also very very intriguing here with uh, with Cortez on the mound and his ERA is at one point four one, but between Kopech starting to look sharp and, and by the way he should have had his first win of the season he's he's zero and zero in six starts um, he lost that win in the game against the Guardians where the White Sox gave up six runs in the bottom of the ninth so you know if you want to take the Yankees live. Uh, if they, they have a lead going into the, the bottom innings, the White Sox bullpen hasn't been garbage over the course of this year. Uh, so that's another potential live play there. But I do think the White Sox on the money line uh, probably can make an argument that they deserve to be slight favorites here. Um, but it for it, I was actually a bit surprised to see that the money was starting to move this much towards the White Sox um, with Cortez on the mound, especially with how popular he's been to bet. But I do think the White Sox are very much in play as a small uh, money line underdog at home on the South side uh, for today. So that is our show. We always appreciate you guys hanging out with us here on bet and breakfast on the weekends. You can always catch us Saturday and Sunday at 11 AM Eastern time. If you're watching us at uh, on Twitter at BetSided, make sure you guys head on over to YouTube, go ahead and give the video uh, a thumbs up, subscribe to the channel. We are live every day, Monday through Friday, as you see below, Daily Bet Slip, Monday through Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern. Saturday and Sunday, we are live for Bet and Breakfast at 11 a.m. Eastern, going over what you just heard, our favorite plays of the day, talking about Sorry. some of the meaningful games on the slate, where we're going, where we're betting, and all of this can also be found uh, at BetSided as well, fansided.com slash BetSided. So, Peter, good luck with your bets today. Always good to see you. Always you good too, to bet. Hang out on the show. Thanks to all of you guys for hanging out with us as well. For Peter, I am Ben. We'll see you back on Daily Bet Slip tomorrow, 5 p.m. Eastern. Until then, so long. May all of your bets hit for today. <laughs>